Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 112 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wael, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you're remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life and just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic is uh, a, some, in in a way, it's a continuation to our last uh, episode. Uh, our last episode, we talked about charity in Islam, and we we're talking about you know the financial situation in Islam and how to you know keep our wealth uh, pure by you know paying charity and all these things. And today we will talk about the dark side of the financial equation and the financial transactions in Islam, which is usury. Uh, Usury is uh, by far the worst thing a Muslim can do after shirk, believe it or not. It is the worst uh, major sin. Uh, and that's not according to me. This is according to Imam Malik. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there were a person, there was someone who was drunk uh, one night. And uh, that person was trying to basically, again, he was so wasted that he was trying to grab the moon. So he started jumping and, and you know, seeing the moon, uh, uh, trying to grab it. And, and you know, from the whatever, the, the sight perspective um, and... Uh, Someone saw him doing that, and of course it was utterly ridiculous, but because he was intoxicated. So that person, again, a random person who was sitting and you know, minding his own business, he saw what happened, so he said this. He said, I swear to divorce my wife if there is something in Islam worse than uh, consuming alcohol. So basically, this man saw someone who's drunk and someone who's doing ridiculous things. Um, and he basically claimed that I would divorce my wife if, and that's an oath, by the way, that means if he was wrong, he has to divorce his wife. That's an oath. He swore, he swore, he's like, I swear I would divorce my wife if there is a major, uh, sin that is more sinful or more dangerous than, than, you know, being intoxicated or drinking alcohol. Of course, he made that oath, right? Now he has to verify because he was not a scholar, nor uh, I'm assuming, nor he was a student of knowledge. So he decided to go to Imam Malik at the time. And that was way many years after the death of the Prophet. Uh, so he went to Imam Malik, uh, who was a very, mashallah, very, very, you know, uh, famous scholar. Rahimahullah, uh, may Allah, you know, send, uh, put him in, in, in the highest level of Jannah. Uh, and he went to him and he basically said, hey, Imam, um, I said this and I made this oath and I said I was going to divorce my wife. If there is something greater, uh, if there's a greater sin in the sight of Allah uh, than drinking alcohol. So Imam Malik, uh, of course, and that, that's look at this, learn from Imam Malik how he responded. He didn't say, no, 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 I, I already know the answer. Let me tell you. No, he said, let me look 
into the book. Let me research in the book of Allah. Uh, you know, and you know, let me look at the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, and I'm gonna get back to you. So Imam Malik started studying, researching for a couple of days, and then he went back to that man and he said, "Bad news, you're gonna have to uh, divorce your wife, or your wife is already uh, uh, divorced, basically." Uh, because it is not the worst major sin after shirk. Of course, this whole conversation is, they're talking about beyond the scope of shirk. This is after shirk. You know, the worst sin in, in, in Islam, after shirk. Uh, and he said, I looked very thoroughly in the book of Allah and in the sunnah and in the studies of, you know, of the sunnah. And I can tell you with the utmost certainty that the worst and the most... Uh, you know, dangerous major sin after shirk is dealing in usury. Arriba. So we're not playing around here when we're talking about usury. This is not something that we should take lightly. And unfortunately, a lot of Muslims these days take it very lightly. Wallahi, people that I've talked to personally. And they get very defensive when I say certain things. And alhamdulillah, I, the etiquettes, you know, being following the sunnah, the etiquettes of talking to people about Islam or if you're questioning someone is to be very polite about it. Do not make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what I did. But it just that, that subject is very, you know, um, sensitive to a lot of people because subhanAllah, deep down inside, they know it's a major sin. They know they're committing a sin by, uh, you know, indulging in in, in 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 usury. Now, here is here is the thing: the Prophet وسلم, our Prophet وسلم, uh, you know, he said that there will come a time that everyone will be touched by the dust of usury, even if they try to completely avoid it, and. And in my own opinion, this is my own opinion, I believe that this is the time right now. You know, it's been happening for a little bit, but we're currently living in this time because you could be indulging in usury without you even knowing it. Imagine this. You know, there could be some companies will be doing certain things and you wouldn't even know. And that is what the Prophet was talking about. It's basically people will be touched by usury even if they're trying all of their lives to avoid it. Now, that does not mean we stop trying. No, no, no. That's not an invitation to stop trying to avoid it. We have to keep trying to avoid it at all costs. And if it's not in our, you know, not in our hands, if we cannot control it, we cannot control it. And I'm going to get to the specific conditions because some people, unfortunately, uh, again, Muslims, they manipulate how do we, uh, where to draw the line. And I'm, we'll talk about that, inshallah, in a second. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also mentions usury. Uh, riba is mentioned a lot in the Quran. And it, it's usually, usually, not all the time, but usually it comes uh, in a couple of verses after mentioning charity, whether it's sadaqah or zakah. And there's a reason for that, actually. The scholars, the, the consensus of the scholars, they said that basically it shows the contrast between the two things, between charity and between usury. Same thing like I did with you guys here. Like I, I spoke about charity first, right? And uh, and then I'm speaking about usury because they're both uh, related to money and wealth and they're both related to the financial transactions in Islam. So they are basically in the same category. 
right? That's why we had these two episodes, you know, back to back, because it's technically the same theme, the same series, if you want to call it. But one is very, very bad, and one is very, very good, right? And when you when you put these two in, in, in you know, like we're talking about Adam and Satan, and the story, the, the the very famous story of you know our origins, we always mention the difference between Adam and Satan. That when Allah, you know, uh, expelled both of them out of Jannah, what happened? Adam repented. Satan did not, and that shows the contrast between the belief here. Adam was a humble believer who, who was very naive, and that's why he was tricked by Satan, right? And he immediately, in the first chance, when, when, as soon as Allah taught him how to repent, he immediately repented. Satan was taught also how to repent, but he didn't care because he was too arrogant. It shows the contrast between good and evil. Same thing here. Charity, beautiful, and it brings blessings, and it brings goodness, and it actually brings happiness to the society, we mentioned the story of the man who was, you know, secretly at nighttime used to go and pay charity. He thought he paid it to the wrong people, but it turns out there's no such thing as wrong people. If people are in need, it will help fix the society. A thief will stop stealing. You know, a prostitute, she stopped, you know, um, doing that and she became more decent. Uh, uh, the wealthy man who did not, you know, used to pay zakat or charity in general started paying it because he felt jealous and he felt ashamed it fixes the society right so that is one thing which is charity a couple of verses later comes usury which is something that destroys the society it brings misery it brings evil to the society it's not an, and here's why it's very dangerous by the way usury because usually when you commit a major sin you you feel it you might get disgusted by adultery. You feel it. Drinking, consuming alcohol. You feel it. You know, uh, being uh, uh, bad and, and, and disobedient to your parents. You feel it. Murderer. You, being, you know, killing someone. You feel it. But usury, you actually gain from it in this world. Because for, first of all, if you're receiving usury, okay, increase in money. You don't feel any thing that's disgusting or sticky you know it doesn't stick to it and it doesn't have a bad scent to it right it's just oh this is actually the opposite it feels the opposite you're gaining money and if you're paying it you're paying it for a reason right you're receiving something in return of you paying interest like for example a home you're paying a mortgage for a house or you're paying you know uh, uh, payments for your car uh, you're getting something from it so it does not feel as as bad as and and, and evil you're not conscious about it uh, the same way you are conscious about, you know, if you commit any of the other major sins. And that's why it's dangerous because it's masked in this kind of, I'm getting, I'm gaining something from it. I'm, I'm, I'm being happy in this world, at least, right? I'm gaining something from it. And that's why it's very dangerous. And that's why it sneaks up, you know, on all of us because we don't feel that it's the same thing, by the way, as backbiting. When you're, when you're, when you're, well, even backbiting, you still, some people with, with, with the right belief, They'll feel it. If they talk bad about someone behind their back, they'll feel icky about it. Like they will feel something is off. But usually usury, if you're convinced, then subhanAllah, you'll feel happy with the results because you're gaining something from either receiving it or paying it. Uh, so that is, again, one reason why Allah usually brings uh, usury after bringing uh, up uh, charity in the Quran. And another thing, and this is very Subhanallah, fascinating. And just take a second and think about what I'm about to tell you. One of the reasons why Allah usually put these two terms together, charity and usury, 
is because of this little formula, which is charity prevents usury. Think about it. Charity prevents usury. When you pay enough charity to the poor, they will not need to pay interest on things to you know buy them. They will have enough money to purchase things cash. Now, we're talking about certain things. I'm not talking about like, for example, charity won't help someone uh, wanting to buy a half a million dollar house to just buy it in cash. That's impossible. But I'm talking about for the most part, for the smaller things, the mortgage, we're going to talk about it in a second. It, 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 it's not the only uh, reason to, that prevents usury, but it's, it's the main one. Charity helps society helps us to have a better class in society, higher class. You know, when you pay enough charity in society, yeah, people won't feel the need to be in debt to buy things. And that is that is ultimately why charity, uh, I mean, why usury is a big deal in Islam. It's a very hated, uh, forbidden uh, thing in Islam to, you know, be part of in any way, shape or form. Because it destroys society, destroys mentality, it destroys homes. When you're in debt, you're living a miserable life. But if there's, again, enough charity, it helps. I'm not saying it completely prevents uh, usury, but it definitely has a big factor in you know, ending or limiting usury. Because think about it. You, as, as, as a person who pays, let's say you are one of those who pays interest, right? You without you there is no you uh, you know uh interest system there is no uh usury because you're the one paying it the people who receive it they receive it from you so if you uh have enough money to not buy and I'm going to state other factors but I'm just thinking about charity for now if people have if the society has enough money for the poor to buy things uh, instead of cuz nobody wants to be in debt if i have a little bit more money and uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, alhamdulillah, well off, and I want to buy something, and I have the money for it. Yeah, I don't want to be in debt. Forget about, you know, doing something haram. I don't want to be in debt. But people, and I'm talking about the majority, not all of them. The majority of people, they are in debt, and they deal in usury because they think they have to. And uh, and that is for those who pay interest, right? So if there is enough charity, so think about it this way: the more charity uh spikes up the more usury spikes down it goes down again i'm not saying it will end usury because here's another reason why usury is surging especially in our times because many of us are dare i say greedy uh, and we want uh more than we can you know we we want to put in our plate more than uh, what we can handle, right? Uh, and, 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 and wallahi, it's, I've, I've seen it happening. You know, some people, they can afford a specific house, but they want a bigger house. You know, they want a house with, you know, I don't know, like 10 bedrooms. And, and, and I'm not saying everyone is like this, but uh, people are trying to aim higher than they, you know, can afford. And of course, when you want to aim higher than what you have in your bank account, what's going to happen? All right, I'll buy it now and I'll pay later. The American dream, right? That is the American dream. If you see something, buy it now, pay for it later. But you're going to pay for it with interest. And again, if, if, if people are in need, if the society has a lot of poor people, then guess what? Lenders, those who lend you money, those who receive interest, will feed 
on those poor people and will feed on their need to own something now and not having any problems uh, you know uh, in paying in installments plus extra fees like an extra percentage or, or whatever now companions used to actually finance entire schools for education back in the day now after the death of the prophet like we mentioned in the, in the past season you know the money started pouring in and companions mashallah they they had a lot of money and they were spending it for the sake of allah and you know developing the islamic government and all these things and one of the things they did was financing entire schools for education look at this and if somebody wanted to needed money to sign up for you know for uh, for school and to have certain things to become a student what did they do the worst thing was they gave him a loan and it was interest free interest free loans wouldn't that be ideal think about it for a second imagine if you picked a house that's worth $200,000 you took $200,000 from a bank and you give it back exactly $200,000. It would be the perfect world, but you get it, they wouldn't make money. But at the same time, that's that would be perfect for you. Won't be perfect for them. So it's a one one is a winner. And don't tell me, "Oh, I won the house." No, no. You won the house, but you're almost paying double the amount because you don't have the full amount on you. So you're paying for, you know, your installments basically. So no, there will always be the winners. The banks or whoever, the lenders will always be the winners. You you won, uh, you will be the winner if you give them back the same amount. But that's not the case. You will never, and I'm talking about conventional mortgage at least, right? So no, it's not a win-win situation. They win all the time and you lose because you're in debt for God knows 20, 30 years and even sometimes more. Now, uh, but look at the, the, the companions. And again, I'm not expecting banks in the West or in, in the Middle East or in the East. I don't expect banks to be like, I've got to give you a loan that is interest-free. But that's why the system is faulty and it's haram, 100%, because they should not get paid for just having money. It's haram. You know, okay, they want to make money. They should make money other ways, investments and share like, you know, profits and, and losses, but they don't do that. Also, here's something beautiful that used to happen. Um, when someone wanted to get married in the time of, you know, the companions, and again, I keep saying the time of the companions because during the life of the Prophet Sallam, Muslims were not that rich. You know, money came afterwards and after, you know, um, battles and after like economic studies and all these things, money, and there were still companions alive when they were rich. That's why I call them companions. Those who witnessed and lived, you know, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ and met him and, and talked to him and all these things. Now, here's the thing. If someone wanted to get married during that time and they don't have money, of course, the companions would literally sponsor them, pay for everything, for the wedding, for the all the expenses, all these things, and people would get married. Today, look at marriage. Like, wallahi, it's 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 like, you know, I've been talking to people, and 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 you want to buy a lot of stuff for your house, assuming that you even have a rental. Doesn't have to. You don't need to have a. You own a house. You want to buy a lot of things, furniture, all these things, and people don't have that cash money. So what they do? All right, let's apply for a card and pay in installments and pay, you know, pay them back plus 
percentage, like a 10% fee, uh, interest fee, or whatever. And again, that is the essence of haram. You should not do this, like I said. Allah prohibited. And for those, and Allah mentioned this in the Quran, I'm going to get to it, but like what the companions used to do was the definition of a healthy society. You know, if someone was in need, they give them money not expecting extra. At max, they would expect the same amount. If it's a loan, it's the same amount. Bring me back. The, if I give you, like I said, $10,000, I want him back $10,000 and it's done. That is at max. They used to do a lot of charity. Like they used to sponsor people getting married. They used to sponsor people like student loans. They didn't have fees back then. You know, in the times of, of, of their companions. No fees. But now, student loans? Ya Allah. Like you talk to people uh, who uh, are paying their student loans and they're like, I graduated uh, five, six years ago and I'm still paying off my debt, my student loan debt. And, and, and I'm not even, it depends of course on the college and all these things, but yeah, people don't live happily after they graduate and be like, let me focus now on making money and, you know, building a family. No, I have to pay a big portion of my income to cover the interest uh, fees for my loans that I took. And that is, it's, it's, it's very crazy, Wallahi, if you think about it. It's, it's very sad and very, very depressing. You know, and, and here's the thing. Usury was not all, only prohibited for Muslims. For those of you who think, well, if you're not a Muslim, then you're fine. No. It actually was prohibited for all the nations before us, whether they're Christians or Jews. But somehow, again, usury was twisted. And we mentioned shaitan is, is very clever. You know, he turned uh, the concept, the word of usury to interest. Little by little, it became a more... Because, you know, imagine you you want to you go to the bank and you're like, uh, yeah, uh, are we going to do this uh, usury transaction? How, how many usury fees are you getting? That's not a pleasant term, right? But when you say financial interest, interest fees and all these things, yeah, it's more pleasant. And that's one of his tactics to make the haram spread easily and be more acceptable, you know, by us. Now, why is it usury, and, and, and I, I want to stop here, why is it very severe in, in Islam? Why is usury a severe thing? Why is interest a severe uh, uh, sin, a major sin in Islam? Well, if you think about it, the entire economical crisis in the world is because of usury, because of capitalism. It's because of capitalism. You know, like I said, you want it now? All right, come, pay for it later. But you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. Or again, for a big portion of your life. Depends on what you're buying again. And everyone feels comfortable in their own bubble you know, when they are purchasing things and paying later, that is, that is the, like I said, you get distracted from the bigger picture because you're buying something or you're gaining money if you're one of those who receive interest, right? Not realizing that you're accumulating debt. Let me give you a number that I looked up, um, uh, whether yesterday or the day before. The amount of student loans in America, the, 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 the amount of dollars, that people still owe, students or graduates, whatever you want to call them, people owe in terms of like the student loan system in America alone. Do you want to guess a number? If you type it on Google right now, you'll, you'll, it depends on how, when are you listening to this, but this is the number I found on Google, $1.6 trillion, not million, not billion, 
trillion dollars in debt. You have people who owe the student loan, uh, whatever organization or agency, $1.6 trillion. That is the society that you live in right now. And they are keep, and there will be penalties if you don't pay on time and all these things, right? These people are suffering. How many people are paying this number? Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Probably tons, tons of people. Guess what? They got through college. That's all they cared about when they applied for that student loan. But now, yeah, they're suffering. Wallahi, they're suffering. You know? And here's uh, another part that people are not realizing. Like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, some people, like this guy who saw the drunk person trying to grab the moon, he thought that the, the, the mother of all evil is, is intoxication, right? When you're drinking, you could commit a lot of sins, murder, you know, adultery, whatever. Also, when the economy collapses because of this, because of usury, people become more inclined to commit crimes and commit sins because people are in depression mode. You know, stealing, drinking because they can't take the loss. Murder could get to murder because, again, it's a financial crisis. So at the end of the day, it is a very tricky subject because a lot of people, unfortunately, um, are using or dealing in usury and they don't want you to say it's haram. It's the unpopular opinion. And how did this start? I want to talk about this part. How did this start? How did this all start? It all started when a group of scholars came into to whatever, the West, like say, for example, by the way, this happens in the East too, in the Middle East. The usury system and, 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 and the interest rates and all these, it's everywhere. This is not just in the West. But let's focus on, you know, our societies, right? And uh, yeah, a group of scholars came and then they were not owning any homes and all these things. So they basically said, you know what? It's, it's, it's halal to, uh, or they didn't say it's halal. They said it's permissible to buy homes. They basically allowed it. And they said, we live in a non-Muslim country. You know, people can't rent for the rest of their lives. And, and because of that, because the scholars back in the day, they blurred out that line between halal and haram when it comes to usury, between allowed and prohibited, people were like, okay, people in the past were like, okay, I have a lot of children, you know, I don't want to keep moving from one home and I want to be under the mercy of a landlord, so I'm going to buy a home because the scholars said so. Guess what? That opened the door to now, we're talking about nowadays, everyone buys using conventional mortgage. They're paying interest they're dealing in usury they don't care you'll be shocked you'll be surprised and shocked and how many muslims here in america they are paying or using conventional mortgage for their homes you'll be shocked it's a lot wallahi it is a lot now before we talk about mortgages and and and, and i want to mention the, the punishments but actually i want to get to the punishments at the end Let's talk about like let's talk, uh, you know, logistically and and, and from an, an, an academic uh, point of view. What is uh, usury? What, what and what are the types of usury? Right? Uh, because uh, it's very important to understand 
if what we're doing is considered to be usury or not, right? And of course, again, I'm not an, a financial expert. I'm taking this from the, the Quran and the Sunnah, and that's what we know. And by the way, this is coming also from the consensus of the scholars. Let's talk about the types of riba or the types of usury. Now, we know what usury is. We said, you know, making money by lending people money or uh, paying money by borrowing uh, money. Uh, so there are two types of usury. There's something called uh, usury of nasia, ribal nasia, and ribal fadl. Uh, ribal nasia uh, is basically uh, a, a, the common one, which is it's about money, it's financial interest, right? And that's what we're talking about. You know, uh, it's it's you're paying for time with your money. So I'm, I'm going to pay later because I don't have all the cash on me or all the, the full amount on me right now. I'm going to pay later. And for paying later, I'm going to pay you, you know, a percentage or whatever. That is basically interest. So, for example, I give you $100 uh, under the condition that you return it later. $100 plus, you know, 10%, which is 110 you know. Uh, now, in Islam, by the way, it is okay to take less, but it's not okay to take more. Like if someone said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you $100, and then this person is like, uh, I, I have only $90 or $80 to, to give you back. Can I do that? I don't have the full amount. This is, There's nothing wrong. I'm just trying to clarify all the angles. There's nothing wrong with you taking less money than what you took, if you will, or, or, or if you wish, or if you're okay with it. However, you cannot take... Uh, $100 and one penny extra because that penny is considered to be usury. Uh, now, if you're getting paid for something else, it's fine, That you, but you cannot get paid for lending that $100. You get it? Now, uh, 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 if someone gives you, let's say, $90 and then you went to return it and you took out $100, you're the one, here's the thing, here's very critical, you know, and again, I'm trying to cover all angles here so people will not be confused. I took some, I took $90 from my friend and uh, I went to return it, right? And when I went to return it, there was no pre-agreement. He told me, take the $90. Whenever you have the money, bring me back $90. That was the agreement right there. No usury, no interest, nothing. Okay, then when I went to give it back to him, I had a hundred dollar bill in my in my uh, pocket, and then he was looking for change or whatever. I was like, you know what, man, just keep the extra ten bucks. It's not a big deal. That is permissible. That is permissible. You're just, you know, you, you don't care. You know, thank you for everything. Don't worry about it. There was no pre-agreement. There was no, you know, uh, uh, condition of him giving you the money that you have to give it back plus 10 bucks. No. This is something that you, on your own, you thought of, you're like, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. 10 bucks. It's okay. There was no uh, condition before you borrowing that money. You get it. So that is permissible. Uh, now, of course, late fees uh, for those who you know use credit cards and all these things. Late fees are hundred percent haram because this is uh, money that basically you get charged with when you do not pay on time. Guess what? It is hundred percent usury. So avoid, uh, and, and we'll talk about how to avoid these things in a second. Uh, so again, late fees uh, are hundred percent haram. You cannot pay late fees, or, or I mean. You have to pay late fees. They will force you. I get that. But just rest assured that these late fees are 100% usury. Now, our Prophet ﷺ, look at this. Look how strict the Prophet ﷺ wanted us to be when it comes to uh, lending and borrowing. 
The Prophet said, if you lend someone money, look at this, and they offer you food after, do not accept the invitation because it will be a type of riba or a type of usury. So let's say you came to me and be like, well, I need, you know, I really need some you know, money. Can I get $100? So I'm like, okay. Then as soon as you took the money, you were like, you know what, man? Come, come have dinner at my house today. No, I cannot accept that invitation because it's obviously because I lent you money. You get it. It's obvious. Now, if we are both buddies and, and you know, you invite me over all the time and this was obviously has nothing to do with the money I gave you, then it's fine. Accept the invitation, of course. However, if, if the invitation was because I just gave you money, you're not allowed to accept it because that food that you will be eating will be as if you're getting paid interest for the money you gave. I mean, it's a different form. It's not it's not, you know, uh, money. They're not giving you percentage, but they're giving you food because you gave them money. It is a type of usury and we should never accept such a thing. SubhanAllah, look at religion. Wallahi is beautiful. Our religion wants us to be selfless. If I give you money, if I loan you money, I want nothing from you. I'm doing it for the sake of Allah to help you out. I want nothing in return. All I want in return is Allah's rewards, whether in this life or the hereafter. I want it from Allah, not from you. You get it. Now, again, a thank you. Well, you know, when someone gives you money and you say thank you, you should say thank you. May Allah, you know, Jazakallah khairan. May Allah, you know, uh, reward you uh, uh, good deeds and rewards. Th- you should do that. There's nothing wrong with accepting, you know, a da'wah, you know, someone making du'a for you for giving them money. This is all fine. But you're getting a physical, you know, materialistic uh, reward from that person that you gave money is not accepted because it's any type of, any form of reward that they will give you that is physical, like food or money or whatever, or garment or, or clothing, whatever, or taking you out for on a trip, all this is considered to be a form of, uh, you know, usury. So th- this is basically in a nutshell, uh, you know, uh, the riba the, nasiya, the, right? The, the, the money-related usury. And of course, this is different from partnership. You know, if I give you $100 and you put another $100 or whatever the amount, right? And then if we uh, share the profit, like we have a business and we both put like each put 100 bucks, and we share the profit 50-50 or we share the loss 50-50. So if we lose money, it's on both of us. If we lose, uh, if we win money or if we make profit, it's on both of us. That is 100% halal. And that is the difference between, you know, partnership or just straight up usury. Now, let's talk about the second uh, type of, of riba or usury, which is riba al-fadl, which is, it's uncommon. It's not as common as the, the financial interest, which is basically in, in, when it comes to exchanging commodities. It's not about money. It's about commodities. And the Prophet ﷺ actually mentioned six commodities in, in specific. Uh, when you change gold for gold, silver for silver, wheat for wheat, Barley for barley, dates for dates, and salt for salt. This is an authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ. He said when you're exchanging these things, it has to be the same amount, regardless of the value. And it has to be immediate. The exchange has to be right right then and there, like while we're standing. Like if I'm if you it's not like I'm gonna give you my gold now and you're gonna give it to me later. No. It has to be the exchange has to be when when the time happens, both has to happen at the same time. The exchange must happen immediately, uh, which is very interesting. 
so if you have a 10 karat gold and you have uh, whatever, um, 14 karat gold, and you want to exchange these two things because one of them is a necklace and the other is, is a ring, for example, they have to weigh the same. Even though they're two different qualities, right? It does not matter. The Prophet ﷺ said, even the wheat, you have like a high quality wheat and you have a lower quality wheat has to be the same amount. There is no, but otherwise it's usury. You know, otherwise the person who's paying less because he, they have lower quality, uh, they are basically uh, paying uh, interest or paying usury. Uh, and the person who's receiving, who has the higher quality is receiving uh, interest as well. And that is... 100% haram in Islam. So again, I'll give you an example to make it easier. If I have 20 ounces of gold and I want to change it uh, uh, with with gold, right? It has to be with also 20 ounces of gold, regardless of the shape. Of course, people, because why, why, why else would I want to exchange gold? It's probably two different things that I want to change, but it has to be the same you know, amount. Even if one of them is more expensive in terms of quality, it does not matter. It has to be the same exact amount. Otherwise, just don't do the transaction. It's that simple. It's very strict. Uh, now, if you want to change from one category to another, you are allowed to change based on the market value. For example, if I have 20 ounces of gold, I am. if the market value tells me that 20 ounces of gold is equal to 40 ounces of silver, then this is allowed because these are two different categories. They're not in the same category. Do you get it? So if I want, if I, again, if I have 20 ounces of gold, I am allowed to exchange it for the market value of it when it comes to silver. If I want to get silver, so let's say it's 40 ounces of silver, then this is totally allowed, right? Same thing when it comes to, by the way, this, that's how, why currency exchange is halal, 100%. Because some people, I know minority people, when they go too far and they say currency exchange is haram, it's not haram, it's 100% halal. Like for example, nowadays $1 equals uh, 20 Egyptian pounds, right? And this is allowed. You're actually allowed also to look for the best rate for your currency. There's nothing wrong with that because they are from two different categories. You know, like the, the dollar is not the same uh, amount. It does not belong to the same category as the Egyptian pound. does not belong to the same category of the euro. It's, it's, it's all money, but it's also there are categories within that money. However, gold is different. The material matters when it comes to, and, and money is being categorized differently, you know, based on distance and based on, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, geographics and all these things. Like every country has its own, you know, rates and all these things. So you are completely hundred percent. This is not me talking. This is the consensus of all the scholars. Hundred percent currency exchange is halal. Uh, however, if you're doing the same material like gold and the one of the six things that I told you about, they have to be the same amount regardless of the quality. Uh, now, here's something very interesting. The ban on usury in Islam, like when it became prohibited, came only two years after Hijrah. While wearing hijab came way after towards the end of the hijrah towards the end of you know of the revelation it shows you the importance of usury and how dangerous it could be again two years after the prophet left to medina 
de- emigrated to Medina, escaped to Medina, two years only, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala banned usury. Because we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was banning things little by little because again, Muslims were, all Muslims were new Muslims. You know, alcohol was allowed in the beginning, but then Allah gradually banned it. So people, Allah is merciful and Allah knows that us as human beings, we cannot change all of a sudden like this, especially when there was no Islam before the Prophet wasallam, right? So again, it shows you, you know, the ban on usury came only two years after Hijrah while hijab came way after. And it shows you that this is a critical, critical sin. Critical sin will lie. Now, let's talk about usury in modern times. Now, we talked about the definitions and the categories of usury. Now, we have, uh, again, a, a general understanding of what is allowed, what is not allowed, and, and all these things, right? Now, in, in modern times, I'll give you an example. If you sign a contract that says, for example, if you, pay, if you don't pay in six months, uh, there will be fees applied. You know, sometimes they say you'll you're you will have interest-free payments if you pay only in six months, right? There are contracts like that. Now, if you know for a fact that you won't be able to pay in six months and you still sign the contract, then you are dealing in usury and you're committing a major sin. You're fooling Allah. You think you're fooling Allah. Right, you're playing games with Allah. You know you can't fulfill this, and you know you're gonna pay. But you're gonna be like, well, but it says that I can pay, you know, in six months, but I didn't. Well, if you knew that you won't pay, if you have a doubt that you're gonna pay uh, in six months, then you are committing a major sin. So that is one thing. So only this, this is halal. Only if you are certain that you're going to pay in six months, as long as you didn't pay extra penny. In terms of interest, then you are good to go. Now let's talk about credit cards, and that's one of the the, the main things people ask about and are concerned about. Like some people actually go as far as not uh, opening a credit card, and and that is not the solution, by the way. Um, so as long as you pay on time when it comes to credit card, and you do not pay any late fees, you do not pay any anything extra. Like for example, let's say that you have your uh, you know, credit card statement of $2,000 this month. And then you chose to pay 1000 and because you chose to pay 1000 it was okay, right? Because they have a minimum of whatever, 30 bucks or whatever. So yeah, you're good, pay 1000 But because you let go of, you didn't pay the other 1000 now they start charging you fees, right? That That is interest. That is usury. And if you open a credit card so you can pay later, not pay on time, then guess what? It's usury. It's 100% haram. It's a major sin. There is no sugarcoating this. I have a credit card. And I, uh, alhamdulillah, bafadlallah, and by Allah's blessings, I pay, alhamdulillah, every, every time on time. I even have the automatic uh, payment that basically I say, pay my statement. I don't pay the current balance. I just pay the statement, which is, again, as long as there are no fees, it's halal. There is no fees, right? Uh, so I pay my statement, alhamdulillah, automatically. And uh, the reason, some people will say, well, if you're going to pay on time, why even open in a credit card? Well, sometimes I want to wait this till the end of the month to pay certain things, right? So I pay it with my credit card. Like, say, for example, I, I wanted to buy whatever, uh, a carpet. And I don't have the cash on me right now, but I know I'm getting paid in, in a few days, but I want to buy it now. Then I use my credit card. Again, no interest here. I use my credit card and then it gets charged. And then the end of the month, depending on how, when do you pay your credit card, right? Uh, but let's say at the end of the month, I'm going to pay for this carpet. So by the end of the month, I already have the money. I don't have to worry about it. So that's, I mean, that's 
personally, why I use credit cards. I don't use credit cards to not pay uh, on time. I just use it to delay the payment to the end of the month. And that makes me not pay interest, alhamdulillah, as long as you pull the full amount of your you know, credit card statement. So if you do that, then you're 100% safe. If you don't do that, and if you only use credit cards to not pay on time, and that accumulates interest and all these things, then this is 100% not allowed in Islam. This is haram. And again, there's no ways around it, right? It all depends on how you use your credit card. Uh, now, cashbacks is another problem, by the way. Uh, for the longest time, actually, I, I used to use cashbacks. And I did not know uh, that cashbacks, now after studying uh, you know, the usury and, and, and the riba and all these things, now I know. Now, the word cashback is basically they're paying you money because what? Because you borrowed from them. You used their financial system to purchase things and you paid it later. And because you're using their system, they kept giving you money. Guess what? Usury. 100% usury. You know, now here's the tricky part, and, and I know some people might use this to pay for a lot of things. I know cashback could be very, you know, helpful in, in, in a lot of things, but again, if you use it as money, so for example, if you use it to pay off your uh, statement, your credit card statement, your balance. It is usury. You're not allowed to use this. This is haram. If you use it to pay, some sometimes if you have like, you know, Amazon.com or whatever, you have a account on, on Amazon and you have a credit card that you added there, it tells you, do you want to pay with your cash back from that credit card? Again, you're using it as money. It's 100% haram. So how do you get around this? Do you give up the money? And if you can, and I'm pretty sure all the cash back uh, credit cards, they offer this. Turn it into a gift card from your store of choice, then it's allowed. Because you changed it, now it's not money for money. Do you get it? It's not money for money. What's haram is using money for money. However, it's it's a gift card. As long as it's a gift card that you can use, not money on money, they give you a gift for using these things. And this is different from you loaning someone. They're not loaning you money that you're not get, paying on time. This is all we're talking about if you pay on time. They're only giving you money because you use their service. In this case, they're giving you money for money. It's still haram to use it as money. Do you get it? The only way to use cash back without it being in, in, in the least in the gray area is if you transform it to or turn it into a, a, a gift card. Something that's not money. You do not use it as money. You only buy merchandise with it or you get merchandise with it. So for example, if you use that cash back to pay your your uh, uh, amount, right, your balance, then it's not halal because you're using money for money. They're giving you money because you're using their system. You're not supposed to do that. However, you can use it to uh, uh, in, in like in terms of gift cards, you know, if you can, and I'm pretty sure all uh, cashback systems or all cashback credit cards, they have the option of you're taking that money in a form of a gift card, then you can use it. But to use it to pay your balance, use it as money to decrease the amount of your payment. Look at this. You're decreasing the amount of payment because the money that they gave you, this is 100% usury. Uh, so that is when it comes to cashbacks. Uh, another thing that we uh, are dealing with in, in, in modern society, which is saving accounts. Now, saving accounts is 100% haram because unless the saving account does not offer interest, which is impossible, it wouldn't be a saving. In that case, it will be a checking account. Then you are allowed to use it. 
but ha- again, like I said, all all saving uh, you know saving accounts are uh, they give you interest for just keeping your money there. There's no again, you don't even have to think about it twice. It's obviously you're receiving interest. It's obviously haram. Uh, I remember a funny story when when I first you know years and years ago. Uh, when I found out about this, I took all of my money from my savings account and I called the bank and I said, uh, and I had a lot of money, alhamdulillah, in the saving account. And that means I was receiving good interest, right? And uh, the lady I remember on the phone was like, um, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, you're getting money. Wallahi, wallahi, subhanAllah. Like, she's like, you're receiving money. Why do you want to? Because I said I want to transfer it into my checking account, which checking account does not give you any interest. Some do, but the one that I'm using does not. It's just it's just money that you put there. It's like, you know, uh, a safe closet that you put your money in digitally and that's it. So uh, the lady was like, but if you put it in your checking, you're not going to get any money back. The woman is once wanted to tell me, are you crazy? Are you rejecting money? Are you, because re- again, like I said, I had money coming in in my account. I was not doing anything for it. So the woman thought I was crazy. The lady was like, are you sure you want to do the wallahi? She was like, like she wanted to be like, are you in your sane, you know, are you in in, in, in a kind of a, a sane state of mind? Are you? Do you know what you're doing right now? And I said, I was I almost wanted to laugh because the woman was like, really, you want to do this? Do you really want to take for no obvious? It's not like I said, I want to take out my money because I need it. No, all I said was, can you transfer my money from, I want to close my savings account and put all the money in it into my checking. And the woman, wallahi, was was like really, subhanAllah. And again, that's the beauty of Islam. It makes you not care about material that much if it's going to uh, anger Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, you're willing to sacrifice all the money in the world if that money will anger Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alhamdulillah, I'm blessed that I, I found out about this, uh, you know, uh, you know, early in the game, alhamdulillah. So yeah, so that was a funny, well, it was very funny, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, now, so yeah, savings account are a no, for sure, 100%. You cannot put your money in savings account as, again, by default, they give you interest on the money being put there. Hence, it is usury. You're receiving usury. Uh, now, uh, house mortgage, and that is the big topic, right? House mortgage is... The conventional mortgage is hundred percent haram. We talked. We just we mentioned this. The conventional mortgage is hundred percent haram. Some people here's the trick. Some people use this argument to justify them uh, getting a conventional mortgage. They say that adarurat uh, 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 They use a, a, a fiqh a ruling that basically says that necessities allow prohibitions. And this is in Islam, by the way. This is true. Uh, if you are in, in dire necessity, you have to, uh, and, and the only way to get out of this is to do something haram. It is allowed for you to do it just to get out of your trouble. And then, you know, case closed. You don't do it again. Uh, for example, if you're in a desert and you don't have water and you're about to die out of thirst, right? And, the, and you looked around and all you could find was for some reason, alcohol, right? You are actually, if you're about to die, you are actually, your life is in danger. You're allowed to drink alcohol uh, and not to get drunk. You're allowed to drink enough that will keep you alive, will make you survive the situation. Same thing with pork. If you're about to die and you can't, you, 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 you're dying from hunger and the, all, all you can find is pork, 
then you are allowed to eat from it because again it's it's um you know it's it's uh, it's it's uh, putting uh, a danger on your life or you know threatening your life uh, so you have to you're, you're, you're it's okay for you to you know eat pork even though it's haram just enough to survive to live and then you know you never do it again and ask Allah for forgiveness and Allah understands and it is allowed so some people say use this concept in in in, in when it comes to you know getting uh, conventional mortgages and they say well, I want a place for my wife and kids to live in, so I'm gonna. This is a necessity, and that's a very weak argument. Number one, necessities they must be uh, a life-threatening situation. Like you will sleep in the streets with your family. However, that's not the case because we have rent, but people do not want to rent because it's inconvenient. And then they transform this inconvenience into a necessity. They call it a necessity. And I'm not saying people are scheming and doing that on purpose. I'm just saying the line is so blurry. And that's the line that I was talking about. The line between what is allowed, what is not, the necessity and just the inconvenience is blurred out, ridiculously blurred out, that people say, I have a lot of children. And uh, yeah, and renting is, is a hassle. It's a problem. And we need to buy a house. You're willing to commit the worst major sin, the worst major sin after shirk because of an inconvenience? Think about it. Just think about it. Because you cannot make it halal. Number one, even the ruling says it's allowed. It does not say it's halal. You know, it says necessities allow prohibitions. You know, tubih means it allows. It does not make it halal. So yes, you are allowing it for yourself based on what? Because you don't want to answer to a landlord? That's not a life-threatening necessity. Again, necessities by the unanimous consensus of the scholars, they said that necessities is something that basically is life-threatening to you or to you know your family. Sleeping in the street could be, you know, it is a necessity. If you don't have money to rent, or if you cannot rent, if the only if, if you're in a country that does not allow renting, okay, then it's understandable. But if you can rent, if there are alternatives, do not be lazy. Do not be lazy because it's not worth it. We're gonna get to the punishment later, but it's not worth it. Wallahi, wallahi, it's not worth it. Yes, you're gonna get to feel you know uh, you're living in a happy life and uh, and you know you're protected, even though nothing was. You know, gonna hurt you if you rented, right? It's just again, it's an inconvenience. But we do, uh, and that is the trend that I'm really worried about. That is the trend that the scholars actually. That is why the scholars, when they first came here, they put that ruling, and people followed. And now people interpret the word necessity based on their own needs, their own agendas, basically. You know, everyone is like, "Ah, oh, I have one kid, and he doesn't want me to pay rent." So it is a necessity now, or, you know, I live in a very, I'm renting a very small apartment. I want a big house. It's a necessity now. No, a necessity is a life threatening situation, which the majority of the people, when they buy, that's not the case. So again, home mortgages is, is a topic that makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable because a lot of people are already doing it. And uh, a lot of people, and wallahi, I've, I've battled family members over this you know people come to me and be like just buy a house 
and you know just forget about it like just you need it you have kids now and, and i'm like no no i'm not gonna anger allah because at the end of the day you want a house that will be the source of peace you know after a long day at work you your spouse and your family you're gonna have peace time you know but guess what if you buy this house by angering allah you might feel peace now well, how about you're angering allah don't depend on that for a long time you know, and it's it's at the end of the day, and, and and listen, rent is there. There are actually there's another alternative that's growing, mashallah, right now. I don't recommend all of them because some of them are very shady, which is the Islamic mortgage. Now, some actually some big name Islamic mortgage, you know, uh, uh, places or agencies or whatever you want to call them, are very questionable. That's why I'm not bringing up any names here. And not negatively, not positively. You do your own research, but there are ones out there that are very legitimate. They basically buy the house. That's that's what I've you know when I I actually talk to them. So you tell them I want this house. They buy it completely. It's theirs. They pay the money for it. So there's not there's no third party here because some other unfortunately um, Islamic mortgage uh, agencies they don't buy the house. They're just the middlemen. You know, like they're they're just the middlemen. And uh, they uh, deal with banks, conventional mortgages, but it's under their banner. So, yeah. But anyway, so they, they buy the house and then they make you rent the house from them to own. There is actually something called rent to own. It's a thing. So you're renting. They, they, they put the fees, the rental fees, right? And all you have to do is just they tell you this is you have to pay us as rent and you're going to be a renter. You do not own a single inch in this house until you can you imagine if you because the what is the difference between conventional mortgage and this in the conventional mortgage you do not fully own the house until you fully pay but every time you pay you're gaining um uh, ownership in the house that's why when you sell the house whatever you paid in terms of mortgage it stays in the value of the house you get it whatever you pay to the bank that did not go away however certain islamic mortgages they say this was rent that's not once you finish the rent you know the the full amount of the house then it's basically yours however if you want to bail now and you want to you know sell the house you're renting it from us buddy so that means you do not get what the money and a lot of people will come to me and be like why would you want to do that yeah because one angers a law and one as far as i know again i don't know everything i talked to them i felt good about them they are sharia compliant and again there are a couple. I'm not just talking about one, right? They are very sharia. They, they follow the sharia. They follow the sunnah of the Prophet and they say, "You're not an owner. You're not paying interest. You're not paying any of this." We they have private investors too, like the the banks that I talk to, the the mortgage, the Islamic mortgage places that I talk to. They're not banks. They have private investors. That's also key. People are trying to contribute in this, and they're basically what they do is they take the house. They could increase the value of that. That's how they make money. They increase the value and you pay them rent based on that increase. You get it. You're paying them rent until you own the house. So that is another way. And again, at the end of the day, you can do your research. And if you cannot find something that basically proves that they're not doing it, like I found other places, like I did my research with some Islamic mortgage places and it turns out, yeah, it's pretty obvious there, there's something shady. But you talk to whatever the bank, again, I keep saying bank, whatever the, 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 the Islamic mor uh, mortgage agency, uh, do your research, 
feel good about it. You have to feel good. If otherwise you're you're fooling yourself and you cannot fool Allah. If you feel good about it and they're doing something that's really incredibly in secret that you don't, it's you're not to be blamed. Because this is an Islamic organization, number one. They are announcing themselves as they are Sharia compliance. They do not deal in interest. You get it? So it's on them as long as you did your homework, as, as long as you did your research, as long as you prayed istikhara, you want to do this, ask Allah to show you, you know, the path if there's something wrong. If you do all of this and secretly they are doing something that you'll never find out. I'm just saying if then you're not to be blamed. Like, for example, if, if you go to a store and they have a big halal sign, it looks like it's, it's owned by Muslims, it has the stamp of halal, and let's say that this meat is not halal. They're just saying this to attract more, you know, Muslim customers. How would you know? You know, it's how would you know? There are Muslims and you should trust when they announce that they have something. Right, they, they, we have halal meat. Okay, they look Muslims. They don't look shady at all. There's nothing. The reputation is good, but then you discover later that it was not halal meat. Then you, uh, you know, you did your part. As long as you did your part, you did your research, and that's why I encourage people. If you want to go the Islamic mortgage, again, I'm not a financial expert. If you want to go the Islamic mortgage route, do not. There's a lot of Muslim mortgage, uh, Islamic mortgage places that are very shady. There are very few that are not. And so go and talk to them, you know, call them, find out their sources, how they're getting their money, who's paying for their, who's financing them, all these things, how it's going to work, you know, and it's more risky for sure because you don't own anything. You're just a tenant, basically. They are the landlords, but at least you're the security, a sense of security. They're not going to kick you out uh, of your, you know, uh, like a landlord would do, or they, you won't need every year to sign a new lease with them or a new contract of, of you know, rental. So my point is uh, pick, if you didn't buy a house, go look for an Islamic, uh, you know, mortgage company, F ask all the questions, man, ask, ask all the questions. Ask all the questions you need to ask to feel good about it. That is, if you don't have, again, and if you really can rent, this is the best solution for you. You know, this is the best solution for you. Do not, again, do something out of, like, you know, some people were kicked out by, by their landlord and they didn't feel safe. And with the, I know the economy now is very, you know, very volatile and it's very unsafe and renting is not ideal. So you can go to an Islamic mortgage place and see what you can do. So that is, again, uh, you know, when it comes to, I hope I answered your question. Again, this is my opinion. Um, I, the scholars uh, are, they told us what's right and what's wrong. Now it's up to your research and your, you know, your uh, questioning the agency and all these things to figure out which is good, which is not. And again, at the end of the day, that is my, like, if you ask me, what is the approach if you cannot rent? Uh, if rent becomes really a problem, then you should take this route. But do not, again, do not believe the first company that you talk to. You have to do your research very hard and very, uh, you know, very uh, thoroughly to basically not anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of the day and ask Allah for forgiveness if your choices were wrong regarding that. Uh, so yeah, that is that. Now let's talk about the punishment of uh, usury. Number one, and this is very, you know, in the chapter of Al-Baqarah, verse number 275, Allah is saying those 
who were uh, uh, indulging in, 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 in riba, right? They will be resurrected on the day of judgment as if they were possessed by shaitan. Imagine this, with pain and mental absence and all these things, you know, because they look... Allah is saying, and that's also because they said, well, usury is the same as buying and selling. It's this al-bay'ah, you know, it's like trading. I'm, I'm buying this house and it's a transaction. It's not a big deal. Those who say that it's allowed and it's okay because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like any other trades, that's what's going to happen. They're going to be resurrected as if they were possessed by shaitan. That's number one. Number two, they will be handed weapons. So those people who, you know, deal in usury, they will be hand, handed weapons by the angels. And literally the angels will say, go to war with Allah now. Here you go. Here are your weapons. Go to war with Allah. What does that mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in uh, you know the chapter of Baqarah, verse number 279, he said, min Allahi wa Basically, Allah is saying, if you do not stop dealing in, in, in riba, in usury, you uh, prepare yourselves to go to war with Allah and his messenger. Now, the war is in this life because Allah won't bless your life. And, uh, but also that means literally, physically, the angels on the day of judgment will hand you weapons and they'll say, go to war with Allah. Do you understand how you will feel if you're in that position? A- angels will be like, go ahead, take take the weapons, go. Go to war with Allah now. The day that every single creature will be scared of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of Allah's anger, you know, because the amount of disbelief in the world and all the, you know, again, it's the day of judgment. This is when all the oppressors will, you know, be facing Allah's wrath. So imagine in, in the midst of all this and everybody's freaking out, you're being told, go to war with Allah. Now, this will happen because it will literally, you know, throw fear in your heart. You will be scared. Now, I can't say scared to death because there's no death, but you'll be really terrified on that day, especially when you realize the angels are telling you, go to war with Allah because Allah told you, prepare for war. You know, prepare to go to war with me and the Prophet ﷺ, and now is the time. So yeah, so that is the second type of uh, punishment in uh, you know on the day of judgment. Now here's a very interesting part, and this is specifically for those who say we just you know pay it. We we do not uh, receive interest, right? We we do not uh, uh, gain money from interest. We just pay it. So uh, our punishment should not be as severe as those who receive it. Look at this. The Prophet ﷺ said, "La'an Allahu riba." Allah's curse is, you know, upon riba, which is usury. Wa'akila, and the one who receives it. Wa'mukila, the one who pays for it. You know, the one who pays it, who pays interest. Wa'shahidayhi, and and the witnesses. Wa'katiba, and the one who writes the contract. Look at this. The Prophet said, "What? Kulluhum sawa'. They're all equal in the sight of Allah. They're all the same." You know, so you cannot get away by saying, well, I only pay it. I don't receive it. No, you literally, 
in the sight of Allah are equal to the person who uh, basically receives interest. So think about that. Because the majority of our Muslim brothers and sisters who are dealing in, in usury are from that category, the, the ones who pay. Now, uh, our Prophet Sallallahu uh, also saw a, a vision and this vision actually by the way any prophet or messenger when they see a vision that means it's 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 something that will definitely happen uh, so he saw someone uh, this is coming from an authentic hadith by the prophet someone swimming in a river of blood and that person is trying to swim to to, to the shore he's trying to get out of it and then once he reaches the shore, someone is is standing outside, you know, by the shore, throws a rock or a stone in the man's mouth, and it's which throws them back, uh, you know, back to the middle of the river again, and they have to redo this whole swimming again. And by the time they get to the shore, that person throws a stone. It takes him all the way back, and and it, it's like a loop, and then. Uh, Basically, the Prophet found out from Angel Jibreel that this is the person who uh, deals in usury, especially the ones who receive usury. Uh, that's uh, once they die, this is how their status, how they're going to live in between, basically, after death until the day of judgment, until they are resurrected. This is going to be their lives. Imagine this. These, these people who eat uh, or consume Riba, usury, uh, basically they will be in that river of blood because they basically made uh, uh, people drown in a river of debt in this life. And Allah is basically giving them a little bit of physical taste of their own medicine. Like they will literally be in a river of blood. And this is terrifying. Uh, it's just nobody wants to be in this position. Really nobody wants to be in this position. Uh, at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, you know, uh, uh, do not indulge in riba, do not indulge in usury, because it will be the destruction of you in this life. By the way, you know, uh, uh, many people who are dealing in riba, they will eventually become, you know, be led to poverty. Now, here's the thing. They might, you might fight people who are, you know, dealing in riba and usury and their lives are fine, right? Well, that means it's worse for them because on the day of judgment, because we know that anything that happens to us, anything negative that happens to us in this life, it means that Allah's taken away from our sins or from our punishment in the hereafter. So people who deal in, in usury and they're not being harmed in this life, they're not being, you know, going through hardship because of that. Guess what? It's all saved for them uh, on the Day of Judgment, which is really a terrifying thing. Also, uh, riba money, the money that comes from riba, when you try to pay charity from it, it's unaccepted. Like, it does not count as charity, whether it's zakah or sadaqah. It literally does not count. Uh, however, now, for those who, you know, just realized, for example, that savings accounts uh, do give you interest and, and it's haram and now they have uh, you know a, a certain amount of money in their savings account that basically it's coming from riba from usury what should they do with it uh, and now the majority of the scholars are saying pay it in charity however you're not going to get rewarded for it but it's technically better than you know um, wasting it on whatever like anything else because anything you buy it with this money is not halal 
So pay for charity. You're not going to get the reward. Uh, here's a very interesting, actually, thing that you guys uh, need to know. Let's say that someone uh, earned their money from usury, right? And then they passed away. And now they have their children and their grandchildren to, you know, supposedly going to inherit that money. Actually, that money is 100% halal for those, for the children. And because they did not commit any usury, they did not deal in usury to get the money. And it is halal for them. Uh, it's haram for the person who did it. Of course, for the person who, like, let's say, for example, passed away, who dealt in usury, it is haram for them. But it's not haram for those who will inherit from that money. And that shows you that, you know, uh, sometimes certain things that are haram for certain people, same things uh, might not be haram for other people. Same exact thing, like this example. Now, and here is something that um, very interesting. And inshallah, I'm going to end with this. Do you, do you guys know why we have, mashallah, a lot of halal meat places uh, in, in, in America right now? Why? Because when Muslims came, there, were, there, there was none. There were no halal places. There were no halal meat places anywhere. So, mashallah, now you can go to... You know, like it's very rare when you go to a town and they don't have a halal market or, you know, a place that sells halal food. And now they have it like in chain supermarkets. And, and, and mashallah, halal food is, is is spreading out everywhere. Do you know why? Because the Muslim community uh, back then, when there was no halal food, they stood their ground. Uh, and by the way, many gave up. Many ate non-halal food. You know, but I'm talking about like the community, let's say the, 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 the majority, they stood their ground. They said, we're not going to eat non-dabiha food, non-halal food. We're not going to eat that. And that forced society to start dealing and importing and slaughtering according to the Sharia, halal meat. And because of that, you find, mashallah, a lot of halal meat stores everywhere, halal restaurants and all these things. If those people back in the day did not stand their ground, if they gave in and they, they gave up and they said, we'll just eat whatever is available, you would never find halal meat today the way that you find it today with the amount and the quantity that you find today. You, you, that would have never happened. Bottom line is, stand your ground for the sake of Allah. You know, if you want to... Uh, get halal loans, then do not accept conventional ones. If you want to get a halal mortgage, if you want this to be normalized, don't get conventional mortgage. Because when, once you you say it's okay, you know, I, I, I'm going to get conventional mortgages, it shouldn't be a problem, then you're eliminating the, the, the possibility of, you know, uh, having something different. And, you know, the reason why people will start investing in something different, such as halal mortgage, is when there is enough demand, you know, for halal mortgage, for halal loans. But when everybody's doing the conventional way, which is the haram way in the sight of Allah, guess what? Why would they make halal mortgage agencies or companies? There's no need. Everybody is, mashallah, very you know, self-sufficient when it comes to that because they are using, you know, the regular uh, uh, conventional loan uh, kind of banks 
they're committing major sins, but they don't care because they want to follow the trend or because they just feel like we're in a Western country, you know, we need to buy houses or we need to buy whatever and I don't have the money right now. So yeah, stand your ground. Don't think like that. If you want to make a change for the sake of your children and your grandchildren, stand your ground. And if you don't want to do it for for their sake, do it for your own sake. Because Allah won't say, oh, well, they were, an, you know, in the, in the West, a non-Muslim land. It's okay. Give them, a, you know, give them a break. No. What's halal is halal. What's haram is haram. If you cannot live in a country uh, that basically, and, and living in that country contradicts, we talked about this, contradicts our Islamic values. If this country that you're living in is forcing you, forcing you to buy a house, and then also forcing you to buy, uh, you know, to use a conventional mortgage on that house, then leave the country. But that's not the case. It's not the case. You are allowed to rent. You are actually allowed to have halal mortgage. Just do your research. Pick the right companies. But people choose, again, comfort, convenience. That's what people choose. Get out of your comfort zone for the sake of Allah. There are solutions. They're not easy ones. But it's up to you. Because guess what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ultimate commodity. The most expensive of all commodities. Jannah. Paradise. You want it? Pay for it. Pay for it. You're not going to have to suffer. Like I said, if you if you will suffer, if, if, if your necessity is a life-threatening necessity... Go ahead and do whatever. It's allowed. But it's not. It's just, let's be realistic. You don't have that type of necessity. It's just inconvenience. So you are really willing to trade Jannah for convenience. Think about it. This is this is a food for thought. Just think about it. You know, the Allah's offering us the most expensive thing in existence. Paradise, Jannah. Allah is telling us in the Quran, his commodity is extremely expensive. Yet it's not that difficult to obtain it. Just follow his commands. Do not disobey him. Do not make him angry. That's all Allah wants. Be disciplined. But when you see a house and oh my God, I don't care how I get it. Angering Allah, it doesn't matter. I just want to live in a big house now. Then why look forward to, you know, have a house in Jannah? You already have everything you need here. So again, um, we're all, like I said, going to encounter usury one way or another. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on us. And I know this is a big challenge, but again, always think about the bigger picture. You're not going to live forever. The house that you will buy, you will lose either to your children or they will sell it or, you know, it's, it's nothing is lasting but our deeds. You still could get the house you want, just try to get it in a halal way. Or just if you can, then rent. There's nothing wrong about that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.